Good morning and happy new year uh, to uh, everyone here this morning. It's a great joy and pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Ben. Uh, I currently live up in Aberdeen with my wife Sarah and our five uh, children. Uh, so you can imagine what our house was like this morning when I got in the car at half past eight, quarter to nine to drive down here and our five kids are all in various stages of getting ready for the day. Um, but it's really a wonderful uh, privilege to be with you. Thank you to Dom, uh, to the elders for the invitation uh, to be here. Please do have that passage from Exodus uh, open uh, in front of you. That's going to be a real help for you this morning as we come to God's word. Dear friends, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? As we start this new year, on this first Sunday of the year, with the whole of 2024 lying ahead of us, can God be trusted? Or perhaps as you come here this morning, it's not so much the whole of 2024 that lies before you. It's can God be trusted to, to see me through this next week? Can God be trusted because in this moment, uh, over the holidays or just before Christmas, I got handed my notice of redundancy. Can God be trusted through this season of unemployment? I don't know how I'm going to find another job. Can God be trusted with my marriage? It used to feel so strong, but yet now it feels like sand on a beach just falling through my fingers or turning to ash around me. Can God be trusted when my friends, my family, my children say to me, I actually don't want to come to church anymore. They're off at university. We hear they're, they're not going to church week by week, Sunday by Sunday, not walking closely with the Lord. Can God be trusted then? Whatever the circumstances in our lives, what about the things going on across this world? Can God be trusted as we turn on our TVs or listen to the radio, Gaza? Ukraine, wars, famines, natural disasters, all these things going on in this world. Can God be trusted? I think in a room this size, with all of us gathered here today, either today, either now, or I would think that for some of us, or, or all of us perhaps, at some point this year, that question will come into our hearts. It'll come onto our minds can we trust God? And that is the question that God's people are facing here or are having an issue with here. Do we trust God? What is the, the, the issue, the, the problem for them that's giving rise to that? Well, it's that they're hungry. Did you catch that as we were, uh, as we were reading it? Look down uh, with me again at, uh, at verse 2. Verse 1 gives a summary. They've just come outside. Uh, they've just come away from Egypt. They're about a month away from Egypt. They're traveling to Sinai. And what happens in verse 2? And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, What that we had died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt... When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Do you see that there? The meat pots, the bread. What are they complaining about? Their stomachs. They're saying they're hungry. They have a food problem. 
As I said, it's been about a month, about four weeks or so since God rescued them, brought them across the sea, took them right through the Red Sea and and safely to the other side and destroyed Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt. It's been about four weeks. They're no longer slaves in Egypt now. God has gone head to head and vanquished him. Do you remember that? You've looked at that, I think, these first 15 chapters of Exodus, all about God's rescue. God has gone to his people in slavery in Egypt. He's defeated Pharaoh. He's freed them. And now he's going to take them to the promised land. And here they're on the way to Sinai, where just in a few chapters' time, they will get the law. In Exodus 20, God will give them the law. But they've come up on a problem here. They're hungry. And actually, this is the second problem that they've encountered, because just at the end of chapter 15, they've said, come to God and said, we're thirsty. And at the, ch- at the start of chapter 17, they're going to come to God through Moses and Aaron again and say, we're thirsty. But in each of these occasions, we see the people do something. In these three episodes, when they're in want, they do something. And that is that they grumble. They grumble. Did you see that there right in the middle of verse 2? The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. Their stomachs were grumbling, or rumbling even, sorry. Their stomachs were rumbling. And that led them to grumble in their hearts and with their mouths to God. And it is just worth noting here before we, we, we go on and see how God shows that he can be trusted. It's worth noting that these people uh, are in want of food, but, but they're not in desperate need. You see, in the next chapter, when they're thirsty, they're going to complain that there's not enough water for their livestock. So these people, although they've come out of, out of Egypt, they do have livestock with them. They do have some means of food with them. But what they're saying to God is actually we want better food. We want something else. What they're saying is they've opened the cupboard and they've seen Sainsbury's or Tesco's own brand of cornflakes. Where really they want the super duper Kellogg's. I don't know, what's your favorite top brand? That's the one we want. That's the one we got at Christmas when people came to stay. That brand of top Waitrose muesli. That's what they're saying. And so they grumble. It reveals something about their hearts. And so before we go and see how God shows his trustworthiness and provides for them, I think we just need to click pause on the action here. We just need to hit pause on the narrative and hover over this and think about this attitude of grumbling and reflect on that for ourselves. Now, before we do that, I want us to be really clear. What we're going to see is their grumbling is not, it is not a humble cry to God for help. No, God always tells us, the Bible always tells us we can cry to God for help. That list of things I said at the start, or whatever it is in your heart, in your lives, we always are to come to the Lord Jesus with prayers for family, friends, health, sickness, loved ones to to come to know Jesus as their Savior. All those things were to bring them humbly to God, always and yes. But these people aren't doing that. This is not an open-handed cry to God for help. This is a a fistedness, a closed fist, a high-handedness. Can you see that? Do you see that from what they say? Look at verse 3 with me. What do the people say? They say, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord when we were in Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. But you have brought us into the wilderness to kill 
to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It's only four weeks since they've experienced the most tremendous rescue of God. The Passover meal, the escape from Pharaoh walking through the sea, all of those things, Pharaoh's army destroyed four weeks. And what are they doing? They have, they've twisted, they've distorted, they, they, they've misremembered is far too generous a way to say it, what life was like in Egypt. Egypt was not a kind of all-you-can-eat buffet. I'm sure some of you here have done those things. Those all-you-can-eat buffets, you keep going. I'm sure I saw something in the paper once about someone who'd been banned from one because he just was there every day eating everything up, right? They think Egypt was an all-you-can-eat buffet, free refills, asking the waiter for more. This past week, my wife and I were down in Edinburgh visiting family. We went to a nice hotel for some coffee and because that's really all we could afford there was coffee so we'd kind of scrape the pennies together for this coffee where you pay four times as much for the coffee but at the end of it the waiter came and said you know what we were taking down all the Christmas stuff today there was loads of disruption which there wasn't but that's what he said there's loads of disruption have the coffee on us we're saying what really have it really wow thank you and, and, and Israel are, saying, are thinking that's what Egypt was like, that they just sat back with their feet up on their lazy boy chairs getting coffee refills, that everything was going swimmingly and fine. But you know from the reading from the first half of Exodus, that is not, that is not what it was like in Egypt. And you know from reading the first half of the book that that is not what God's purpose for them is. Again, look at that right there at the end of verse 3. God has not brought them into the wilderness to kill them. Look at what they've done. Their rescuer, the one who's come to bring them life, they're saying he's a murderer, that he's just going to kill them. Better that they had died. Do you see how twisted it is? Do you see how sinful it is? How perverted it all is? And so do you see the difference between a genuine cry for help and a grumble? They think they know better than God. They think God doesn't care, that that God no longer wants to, to help them now. And they get God's character, his fatherly care, totally wrong. And so what does grumbling do? Well, like like water on a rock, it just corrodes how we think about God and utterly distorts it. So dear friends, whatever you face this morning, with your job, with your work, with your family, with your health, whatever it is, do not come to the Lord with grumbling. Do not come to the Lord with grumbling. It's not one of the sins we think about very often, is it? We think about lying or stealing or sexual immorality or whatever it is that we talk about more. We don't talk about it much. It's not often on the list of things. But do you see how how damaging it is to how we think about God? So dear friends, this morning, check your hearts at the start of this year. Do, Do we say to ourselves, sometimes in our mind or out loud, Lord, this is all your fault. Lord, if only you hadn't done this or given me this or brought me here, whatever it is. And if we think this is just an Old Testament thing, no, we find Paul and Peter and James, they all write later in uh, in the New Testament, in their letters about grumbling and the effect that it has on the congregations. So dear friends, guard your hearts from grumbling. Guard your hearts against grumbling. 
For if you do pursue that and go down that road, it'll start your view about God. But also being a people that don't grumble, that don't grumble, is a wonderful witness. It's a wonderful witness. I know a couple at the moment who are going through a very difficult time in their business, very difficult financial pressures, pressures from all sides, not sure will will the business kind of keep surviving through the next few months and the year and all those things loads of questions spinning around everywhere everywhere and they said to me uh, just the other week that they uh, had met somebody who was in at the business and, and this person came to them and said you are not responding to all that's going on like we would expect you are not responding to all this like you would that we would have expected that is they would have expected grumbling And what could this couple say to them, these Christians? They could say, we're not responding that way because we're Christians. Now, don't mishear me. They're they're not burying it under the rug or under the carpet. These are hard circumstances. They're they're not responding with some stiff upper lip, British kind of stiff upper lip. Oh, everything's just really okay when, when it's not. No, there's a real sense of this is hard. But in humbly trusting God... And looking to him and knowing his fatherly care, even in the darkest, deepest valley, if you like. What a wonderful witness that is to those around them. And so, dear friends, may I encourage you, perhaps one of the best gifts you will give to your husband or wife, to your children, to those of us who are children, to our parents, to our bosses, whoever it might be this year, is to not grumble. To not grumble. Perhaps one of the best gifts, gifts we give to, to our flatmates, our colleagues, to our pastor, to our elders here, is to be a people known for not grumbling, but trusting, humbly trusting God, even when things are hard. But dear friends, note then, note then, that to these grumbling people, to these grumbling people, what happens? What happens? We see the goodness and graciousness of God, don't we? Because to to these grumbling people, God comes. God comes. That's what we're about to see from verse 4 onwards. What does God say? The Lord says to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven. Rain bread from heaven. And just before we explore that, that is worth underscoring that as these people grumble, God comes to them. He comes to them. Think about it for yourselves. When your children whine or moan at you, or if you have a colleague at work that always whines or moans, does it make you want to go to that person? I do often try not to speak about my kids when, uh, when I'm preaching, but they're not here, so maybe I can get away with it this morning. But when my kids are whining at me and moaning at me, does that normally fill my heart and just make me want to just give them a big bear hug and say, no. What do you want to say? Be quiet. Go give me a break. That's my response. What does God do to these grumbling people? He comes to them and he's about to come and provide for them in their need of hunger. It's amazing. So dear friends, if this morning as you sit there and you can feel convicted in your own heart, your own mind, do you know what? To my husband, to my wife, my parents, my children, wherever it might be, I have been grumbling. Come to God and know there is forgiveness. He says to you this morning, I'm here. I've come to you. He draws near to us in our sin. Isn't that wonderful? I hope that assures you this morning, whatever Christmas and New Year has been like for you, whatever the year ahead for you is like, God comes to us in our sin. 
That's what's happened in Egypt, isn't it? God's people are in slavery. And it's the picture of what we have of our sin. God goes to his people in slavery and rescues them. God comes to us when in our sin to rescue us, to draw near to us. And so, dear friends, this morning, come to him. Repent, take joy. Christ invites you to him this morning. Turn to him. There is always forgiveness with him. And so God comes to his people to provide for them. They're hungry. And he says, I'm going to come and provide for you. And he provides in sort of three ways, if you like, in three ways. And we'll just look at those three ways now as we, as we go forward. And God's response is he draws to them in these three ways. Before you panic, as we go through this, we'll spend most of our time on the first point and, and we'll be a bit briefer with points two and three. So how does God come first to provide? And how can we trust God? Well, he, he provides firstly with bread from heaven, with bread from heaven. And so we can trust God because he has provided bread from heaven. That's really our first point. We can trust God because he has provided bread from heaven. Now, I I won't uh, read all of this again. There's lots of text here, but there's a really good summary in verse 11 and 12. So just look down at verse 11 and 12 with me, and that'll summarize it. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. It's wonderful there. Do you see it? The people are hungry, and God comes to provide food, to provide manna, bread from heaven. Every morning, fresh bread for them, and in the evening, quail, food for them to see them through the night. He meets their need and provides for them. We're not long back from living in the United States. We lived from the middle of 2019 to the middle, uh, the summer of 2023 in the United States in North uh, Carolina. Uh, I was doing some studying out there. And when we were in the United States, very quickly uh, and in the Lord's kindness, we got connected with a, a couple from the church that we were at. And they, they picked us up from the airport Uh, in Charlotte and North Carolina and really for the rest of our time there uh, they were just wonderful uh, friends to us they were kind of adopted grandparents to our children and they were they were just uh, wonderful and really from day one everywhere I went now I mean everywhere I took uh, their phone number with me always. I had it on my phone, and I think I still have it even just now in my wallet. I thought, just in case I lose my phone or the battery dies somewhere, I'm going to take a number written down in my wallet uh, of, of their number. Everywhere I went, I made sure I had their number. And, and why was that? Because I thought that no matter where I am, I know I can phone them up, and they'll know what to do. We're living in a foreign country. I don't know how everything works, but I knew I could phone them in. No, they'll know what to do, or they'll find someone who will know what to do. I knew that they could provide, that they could help me. And if that is true of of a man or of a couple who, who may not always be at the other end of a phone line, how much more of God? of God, God will always provide for his people. It may may not always be what we want, but it will most certainly be what we need, what we need. 
And so, dear friends, today, take your burdens, your cares to God, knowing he will provide. But actually, what what we're going to see here now is that the, the provision of manna the provision of manna, the provision of food for their hunger problem, it, it, it isn't the, the ultimate relief here. Yes, it is relief. There's food for them day by day in God's wonderful grace. There is that provision, but there's more going on here like that. And dear friends, I think that's true in our lives as well. When you get that provision of the check in the post completely out the blue and you've got a big car bill coming up or your boiler's broken or something and, you, and, it, and it's wonderful... Or, or when the tenancy is about to run out and someone, you see a house somewhere to rent. When we see these good things and we see the hand of God over it, those are wonderful things. But, but those aren't the ultimate point, are they? What, what is it that God really wants uh, to give here? Just look at me with me at verse 4 and we'll see that. Look at verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven For you and the people shall go out day by day and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. You see, God's provision here of manna, of food, in answer to their hunger, comes in the context of a test. And the test is, will they trust my word? Will they trust my word that the bread for today is enough? And that there will be bread tomorrow. Will they trust my word that on a Friday they're to take a double portion and that will see them through the Sabbath? Will they trust my word? As Moses, after the time of Exodus and the time of Numbers and all the wandering in the desert, Moses retells these events in Deuteronomy 8 to, to the next generation of Israel on the the. the uh, just on the cusp of going into the land. And here's what Moses says about these events. God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That man does not live by bread alone, but comes from every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what is God saying here? God is saying, I want my people to see that through my provision of bread, they can trust me in everything. That they can trust me in everything. That that the real provision, if I can put it this way, is me. That they can trust me to walk in my word, to walk in my way for, for everything. That's the ultimate thing they need, isn't it? That's what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy about here. Yes, there's bread. They need to have food in the cupboards and bread for each day to fill their stomachs. But ultimately, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. They need God. That's what he's saying to them here. Uh, over Christmas, uh, one of our family members very kindly got some gifts for our, uh, for our kids, which, again, with five of them, is, is no mean feat, incredibly generous. But this family member uh, who was with us, um, I don't, maybe not many people here know my family, but I feel for their sake, maybe I should protect their identity, you know, rather than tell you who it all is. But they bought, um, uh, uh, from, they brought a dressing up thing from Amazon, 
and the, the dressing up thing they brought from Amazon was a, was a costume of a present. So it was a big red kind of costume with a present on it that they wore. They could pull it over themselves. And so when, when they came down on, I, d I don't know if they wore it on Christmas Day, but as they were giving out gifts, what this person came uh, to, say to say to my kids uh, was, look, I'm the present. I'm the present. And yes, she'd got them some candy and all the rest of it, but she was coming and wearing this gift and saying, look, I'm the present. Now, that's a little bit of a trivial example, but what God is wanting his people to see here is that through the provision of manna every day, that the ultimate gift God gives his people is himself, is himself. The manna is not just about the manna. It's through that that they can see, yes, we can trust God. God has provided bread from heaven so we can trust him in everything. He's given us himself. And so this manna points beyond itself, points beyond itself. And we can trust God today, not because every morning we go out and there it is, there's manna on the ground. I tell you, though, in our house, if we had a cereal box that filled up to the top every morning or a milk jug that did, it would be a really good thing and it would save us a lot of pennies. But no, that, that's not where our provision is. Our provision is that we have got bread from heaven, not manna every morning, but the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus. If you have a Bible with you, turn to John chapter 6. If, if you don't, I'll read it. But John chapter 6. And Jesus here wonderfully shows us God the Father's provision to us of bread from heaven. And that is him. Now, it'd be wonderful to read in uh, lots of this. This is a wonderful uh, part of John. But for time, I'll just read from verse 32. I'll read from verse 32. And here's the Lord Jesus. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Dear friends, we trust God with our jobs, with our lack of jobs, with our marriage, with our singleness, with our kids, with our health, with everything. We trust him. We trust him because he has provided the bread of life. He has provided the bread of life, the Lord Jesus, who will always satisfy, who will always satisfy in all the chaos and tears and trials and uh, tribulations of life. God has given us the bread of life, the Lord Jesus, and shown us we can trust him because he's given us Christ, the very thing we need. I wonder if you know the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, I think it must be one of my top three, maybe top five, I don't know. We can discuss that after. What does it say? Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Dear friends, this morning, do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. 
In the provision of manna every day, Israel were to find their solace in God, in God, in his word and to trust him. And so, dear friends, today, whatever you face, take solace in Jesus. Take solace in Jesus. And what is the solace that he gives? Well, John goes on to say here as he records Jesus' words in verse 39 of chapter 6. Jesus says this, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For it is the will of my Father that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Do you see it? What's the wonderful gift Jesus holds out to us today? Eternal life. And that he will never, ever, ever lose you or forsake you. You see, all those who were in the wilderness that ate manna died. They died. The the bread from heaven that came down in the wilderness prevented hunger for a day but it didn't prevent death. But all those who trust Jesus, who trust Jesus, though they die on this earth, will yet live. They will live. He offers you eternal life, eternal life. Isn't it amazing here that they were rescued from Egypt? Amazing. They were rescued from slavery, the Israelites. But what has Jesus rescued you this morning? He's rescued you from sin. He's rescued you from hell. And he has rescued you from death itself. He offers you eternal life. And he will never, ever lose you. So, dear friend, know that this morning, whatever your troubles are, whatever your troubles are, if it feels like the fog, I I don't know if you get bad fog here. We were up in Aberdeen, very near the beach. We often get fog or har that comes, uh, comes in off the coast. It was just like that the other day. And sometimes life feels like that. The horror, the fog descends. You can't see but an hour in front of you. When that happens, know that to the Lord Jesus, you are not lost. He has you. He holds you. And he will never, ever let you go. Last week when we were um, in uh, in Edinburgh, I said we went to a a nice place for coffee. The grandparents had taken the grandchildren out. So it was just my wife and I. So we felt we could go somewhere nice without kind of everything just smashing up around us. And when we were there, we saw somebody famous, at least famous to me, okay, which is going to reveal something of my kind of geekiness. We saw somebody called Tom Holland. Now, not the Spider-Man actor, because that would have been amazing, but there's a historian called Tom Holland. You'll sometimes see him on the TV, kind of white hair, glasses, quite tall. He's written about the Roman Empire. He wrote some books about Christianity. And anyway, so he walked past, and my wife didn't know who he was, which probably shows that she's sane and I'm not. And I just almost blurted out, there's Tom Holland. And I didn't. Thankfully, I put my hand over my mouth and stopped. But what didn't happen is he didn't then turn around and go, oh, look, there's Ben Trainer. No idea who I am. Can't even remember me sitting on the sofa at the side of this this room in in, in the hotel as he he headed off uh, for breakfast. He didn't do that. He doesn't know me. But imagine, imagine if he had. That would be wonderful. When we were in Edinburgh as well, some of our uh, family went on the Royal uh, Yacht at Britannia for, uh, for a little tour. Imagine that day the king comes on, 
King Charles walks onto the boat owned or once owned by his family. Imagine if he says to to my family, to your family on the boat that day, wow, look, there you are. There's Ben or Jane or Tom or whatever. Look, I see you. Dear friends, the king of all the world, the king of all the world, who created the stars and the planets, who filled this earth, who created you, he sees you. He knows you. And he has come to you as bread from heaven to offer you eternal life forever, to deal with your greatest, greatest need. He's dealt with your sin and he offers you life in him forever. And so, dear friends, I hope that's a wonderful comfort to you at the start of this year, knowing that God sees you and knows you and loves you. And in Jesus, you are held fast by him forever. So can God be trusted? Yes, absolutely. He has provided bread from heaven, the Lord Jesus, eternal life. Two more things then, and these we will keep brief. So can God be trusted? Yes, we see God provides bread from heaven. He's provided the Lord Jesus to us. Secondly, but what else does he provide for his people? He provides rest. He provides rest. That's really verse 22 and onwards. He provides rest. What's going to happen here? Let's just quickly look at verse uh, verse 22. On the sixth day, on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much bread, two omers. And when the leaders of the congregation told them, he said, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will and bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left lay to the side to keep till morning. So on the day before the Sabbath, they're to take twice as much They're to take twice as much so that on the Sabbath, they will rest. Now, having done more sports in my younger years, I feel like I'm on a kind of permanent rest from uh, athletics. But those of you here who are uh, sporty will know that rest is part of your routine, isn't it? When I did some sport more as a teenager, part of what we did before big uh, competitions was we tapered. You kind of wound down a little bit. You rested before uh, the swimming competition, before the big event. Some of you here will do park run or five marathon runners, whatever. You can tell me what it is you do afterwards. But you know that part of that is rest, right? It's an important part of what uh, is good for your body, good for performance, Well, God gives to his people rest. And that goes right back to Genesis, doesn't it? To Genesis chapter one. God creates in six days and on the seventh, he rests. And interestingly here, before the law is given, the 10 commandments are given, God commands his people to rest. And rest is all about what? It's all about trust. It's all about trust, isn't it? I trust that the food for these Israelites, the food from that we gather double of will last us for two days. It's trusting that God has provided and given enough to see us through. It's going to last us. And so they are to trust God by resting. And that was beautifully picked up in the prayer earlier in the service, wasn't it? That Jesus has come to us and says, Come to me and I will give you rest. It's wonderful, isn't it? That's what was prayed earlier. It was great. We don't need to strive anymore. We don't need to worry about pulling our bootstraps up and and living by that. No, we live by resting. 
by trusting in what God has done for us. And that's the, the, the second thing he gives them. He gives them a Sabbath rest. Now, how the Sabbath rest from the Old Testament is carried over into the New Testament, some of us or some people or different stripes are going to just land that slightly differently. But let me commend a few things to you before making one big application. I think we, we would do well to think about how we use our Sundays as we gather for worship and as we try to take a break from all the hustle and bustle uh, of life, I think we would be do, do well to do that. I think there is some of that principle carries over. Somebody once said to me, and this has really stuck with me, it's helpful. Rather than thinking of the week as five plus two, five weekdays, two weekend days, one helpful thing is to think of six plus one. That's really the Bible's pattern, isn't it? Six days you shall labor and one day you have a Sabbath to the Lord. But I think one of the main things we see through the New Testament, right through the Bible as we think about Sabbath, is it's not meant to be sort of in the bad way sluggish. It's not meant to be dreary. It's meant to be a day of joy, of joy, of wonderful joy, resting in what? In God's provision. He has provided enough food. He's given what we need. And that's meant to be true for us. It's a day for joy, resting in all that Jesus has done for us. But before I push that point home, let, let me just say that if you have specific questions about how some of this lands in the New Testament, do speak to your minister, your elders. You can speak to me, but, but go to them for that. They'll help to see how specifically they, they want to draw some of this out. But I think we can all land here that the Sabbath in the Old Testament is a shadow that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. He is our Sabbath rest. And so that is the invitation for all of us. God has given us Jesus are you resting in him? Are you resting that he has done everything for you? That that was the prayer earlier that was so beautiful. We don't need to strive for our salvation. We don't need to work for it. No, we rest in what Christ has done. It's beautiful, isn't it? Resting in what Christ has done. Dear friends, at the start of this year, are you resting in all that Christ has done for you? What did we just sing there? Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Come to thee for dress. Look to you for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Are we resting in Jesus? Dear friends, some of you might be new to church or coming back to church or first time here. Welcome, it's great to have you. The Lord Jesus says to you today, come to him, rest in him, trust him, maybe for the first time, and he will give you rest from your sin rest from our sin-sick world in the Lord Jesus. Let me just draw one other application before we move to our, our very brief final point. Because what do the people do here? Do they listen to God's word? Do they listen? Look at verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. They go out for food, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So these people, these saved people, are now meant to be walking in God's ways. But what do they do here? They, they, they don't rest, if I can say that. They don't listen to God's word. They, they don't, do they? You see, the resting isn't just for salvation, which is all done by the Lord Jesus, all done by God. 
Part of resting in God's word is resting in its sufficiency for life. It's about resting in its sufficiency. This is a good word. I can trust it as we now live. Israel are pivoting here. They've been rescued and now God's going to give them the covenant, give them the law and say, this is how you should live. And we need to rest in the goodness of God's word for that. When we were in the United States and um, we had to go there to live, some of you may have done this coming to the UK, we had to apply for a visa and it was, it was actually quite straightforward, but you do all your paperwork, you pay lots of money, you pay more money, and you do more paperwork and money, and you get passed between all these people. And eventually, we go to Northern Ireland, to the US consulate there, and there's your visa, gets in your passport. But imagine we arrive in the States, or you arrive in a new country, wherever it is, and they've done all this work in immigration to get you in. And imagine us, we walk in, out of the airport, you know, they stamp us in, Homeland Security, whatever it is, welcome to the United States. And in you go, and you say, great, now I'm here. But you know what? You've done all this for me. You've brought us here. You've put all the paperwork together. You've processed our application. But actually, now we're here and our feet are on US soil. I'm just going to keep living like I was in Great Britain. I'm going to keep driving on the left rather than the right. I'm going to keep using pounds rather than using dollars. I'm going to keep doing whatever it is, right? How, how's that going to go? Right? It's not going to go well, right? You're living somewhere else. You, you've trusted these people. They've done all this stuff for you. Now, now what? Well, now we're in that country. We've got to follow some of those conventions. Drive on the right, not the left. It's dollars, not pounds. We say you all rather than you guys, whatever, right? It, it, but do you see it? These people now have been taken from Egypt. They're no longer slaves. They are to live to God. They are to live, God's word is good to save them, but it's good to live by for life now, and they are to trust it. And so, dear friends, I think one application we can draw from that is is to, to think of your own heart. What part of God's word are you tempted, like the Israelites, if you like, to, to, to ignore, <laughs> to, to disobey, to, to sneak out, as it were, on, on the Sunday, on the Sabbath, to say, I don't think we really need to do that. I don't know that God's word is really good enough for me to live by here. Whether it's relationships or whether it's finances, whether it's attitudes, attitudes, whether it's with grumbling or whatever those things. No, the invitation to rest is to rest in Christ's all-sufficiency for salvation and it's to rest in Christ's all-sufficiency for life, in God's word for life. So if there's anywhere in our hearts we're saying, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but let that be a warning sign to you that you're not resting in the good gift God has given us as we live for him, as we belong to Jesus. We're not in Egypt. We're now in the promised land. We're not in Adam. We are now in Christ and we rest in what God has given us in Jesus. So God provides bread from heaven, the Lord Jesus. He provides rest, which is the Lord Jesus and his words. He provides rest. And finally then, what does God uh, do? What's our third thing here? Well, really, the third one is that he provides always. He provides always. He, he is faithful, we could say. He is faithful. That's really verse 31, uh, 31 to the end. And it's a bit of a summary. Let me read it again. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers made with honey. 
Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout the generation so that we may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought it out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord throughout the generations. As Moses com- uh, the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony and they kept it. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to an in- a habitable land. And the eight manna till they came to the land of Canaan. So do you see the summary? Moses has obviously written all this. And the history, that 40 years of wilderness, that's still to come. The, the tabernacle that's going to be given, that's still to, to come as well. Where the jar is going to be kept next to the law. They're going to get two slates with the law. And this jar of manna is going to be kept in front of them. That's all still in front of them. But, but Moses writes in a little summary here. To do What? to remind the the first readers of this and all subsequent generations to, to remind us that God always provides, that God is faithful, that he is always, always there. And so do you see that's the image that God, or the picture that they're left with, this jar of bread that for 40 years, every day apart from the Sabbath would appear and go and appear and go and appear and go. For 40 years, God provided for his people. And they were to have that jar there to remind them of that. But dear friends, what are we about to do? Not to get out a jar of manna, but we're about to what? Break bread together, drink wine together. You see, they had manna there for, for 40 years, but we have the bread of life, the Lord Jesus who is forever faithful to us, forever with us. He is always with us to the very end of the age. And so, dear friends, that's a wonderful thing for us to to finish this passage on, isn't it? Whatever 2024 holds for you, whatever this week holds for you, keep on trusting God. He has provided, he's given to you bread of life, rest. He's given you all that you need. And as we come to the table now, as we come to feast together now, we take together bread and wine to remember his faithfulness to us, always to the end of the age. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we pray now that you would feed us and help us to trust you and to walk in your ways always. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you that you have come to us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.